everyone, this is Christini here, obviously from the much more recent past, with a quick explanation for this episode. So, this is technically the 24th episode, but it is airing in the time slot that should be the 26th episode, because somehow when I was editing, GarageBand ate both Emma's and my vocal track, with the result of me accidentally exporting an episode that was blank except for the intro and outro music, which is, you know, clearly not an episode. So you are going to be hearing the re-edited version of our episode on King Arthur that we recorded about three weeks ago and should have aired two weeks ago. So I hope that y'all enjoy the episode. Also, as long as I've got you here, uh, Black Lives Matter, obviously, Black trans lives matter, obviously. Uh, trans rights, LGBTQIA, and everyone else's rights as well. If you are financially able and willing, I highly suggest checking out Black Lives Matters with an S. dot c a r r d. dot c o, which is a website that can help direct you to ways to help. If you are someone who is uh, physically capable and has the time to go out and protest or to sign petitions or to call people in power, please do that. Know that you have both of our blessings. And also, please always remember to keep yourself and others around you safe as much as possible from the coronavirus by wearing your mask when you're out in public, especially if you're going to be interacting with people. Monitor your health, especially in case you show any signs or symptoms, and, you know, wash your hands all the time. All of which is to say that, you know, helping each other, keeping yourself safe, and trying to make the world a better place is pretty much the mission of Faithful. So I guess we'll just see you next time. Enjoy! <laughs> Everybody and welcome back to Faithful, or welcome to Faithful. My name is Christina. My name is Emma. And this is our podcast where we talk about faith and religion and pop culture and media and, in this case, uh, probably also myth and legend um, for today's episode. Um, yeah, there's a lot of religion in myth and legend, isn't there? Oh, yeah. It's honestly, it's... <laughs> I, I don't want to cause anyone listening who has studied in those fields, but I'm going to say what might be a hot take. And they're, they're, the, the lines between religion and mythology and fiction are much, much blurrier than mm -hmm. academia would have you believe. Sure, yeah. <laughs> or I guess, I guess not academia, but pedance. They're sure. much blurrier than pedance would have you believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I before we actually get into the episode, we should probably take care of some quick housekeeping notes, which is, um, as far as I know, we don't have any new emails or uh, tweets or anything, mm -hmm. um, but I would like to thank everyone for being patient with us for uh, not <laughs> for skipping the first week because uh, Emma had to work with finals and I had to deal with some stuff as well. But you know what? It's fine. We all got through it and we're here now and you're listening to us now, so we're good. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and just jump right into it, I guess. Emma, what are we talking about today? Uh, we I thought that it might be a, a fun idea to just talk about uh, Arthurian legends today. Uh, yes. I think it's something we're both vaguely familiar with, mm -hmm. um, more than maybe the average Joe, but everybody knows what, like, the yeah. stories of King Arthur and everything. Did you also have a mythology phase when you were growing up? Because I did. Yes. Yeah. I don't think it was as strong as a lot of people's. Um, but like, uh, I honestly, I probably had a pretty late one because when I was reading Percy Jackson in like mm -hmm. oh middle my gosh. and high school. Did you hear about Percy Jackson? Yes, I did. Yes! <laughs> Vindication! 
Yeah. Like, every book is going to be its own season, so they're not going to, like, rush anything. Oh, and, like, that's so Rick good. Riordan is a part of every single part of the process, and I'm good. just... He's not going to have to write, like, a passive-aggressive letter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rick Riordan. He's so good. Oh, I love him. That's uh, very exciting. I I also appreciate it because Rick Riordan is, like, so fiercely devoted to diversity that those shows are going to be so unbland. Oh, my gosh. I'm really, really excited. Like, yes. oh, Disney as a corporation, whatever, but, like, their production teams really know how to make a good show. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited to know that this show is going to have money and popularity. Like, especially, like, I know people – um like, all of the, like, college and high school kids that are, like, stuck at home right now, yeah. a lot of them are, like, kind of diving back into, like, old, like, interests they had in, like, high school, middle school. Yeah, um, which I get. Yeah, and totally so this get. is honestly perfect time for this announcement, and I think mm-hmm. it's going to be really, really good. We should oh, have yeah. a Percy Jackson episode sometime. We definitely should. Anyway, all that aside, <laughs> um, <laughs> mythology. I, I had a mythology phase when I was growing up. It was probably sometime around middle school. Mm-hmm. And I was I was very into mythology. I did have a copy of both Edith Hamilton's mythology and also the Cliff's Notes on mythology. So I have a lot <laughs> of like I have a lot of generalized knowledge of various myths and legends. Um and I have a pretty I guess I I guess I could say a pretty good handle on Arthurian legend and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I remember having a um, unit in high school. I think it was huh. maybe my sophomore or junior year um, where we did Arthurian legend. And mm-hmm. I think we even like acted them out and stuff. I have that memory. That might have been Hamlet, though. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um, but yeah, I think uh, so. I learned a lot of the like specific legends like um like, more broadly than, or more specific than just, like, oh, there was Merlin, and he was a wizard, and there was mm-hmm. uh, Arthur, and he pulled the sword out of the stone, and that yeah. kind of thing. Like, I and learned... Katie McGrath was there. And Katie McGrath was there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but, yeah, exactly. But my, my main uh, foray into Arthurian legend was definitely BBC Merlin in middle school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's a valid way to get into Arthurian legend. Probably Honestly. a lot more supportive of women than the original mm-hmm. legends were, if I had to guess. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later, too. Okay. <laughs> um. So did you have, like, any past knowledge of Arthurian legends? Or, like, where did you learn about them, if you remember? Or is it just kind of like the zeitgeist sort of thing? Yeah, um, like I said, a lot of my knowledge is from reading that I did back when I was in a big myth phase, but Mm -hmm. then also, you know, kind of, like, bits and pieces, like, oh, hey, I I did, I watched a, not I did, (laughs) I watched a Let's Play of someone playing through Sonic and the Black Knight, which is (laughs) Sonic, where he's King Arthur, Um, and so then I did a lot of reading on, like, Wikipedia, like, down the rabbit hole kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. or I guess it's called a wiki walk. I did a wiki walk on Arthurian Legend (laughs) one time, and I feel like Arthurian Legend is full of a lot of, you know, interpersonal drama. There's lots Mm -hmm. of, you know, conflicts between Arthur and the love triangle between Arthur and Lancelot and Guinevere and all the various knights and their foibles fighting in between themselves and also Mordred's there. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I remember reading somewhere that there's probably, there was definitely a point at which Arthurian legend became heavily, I'm I'm not going to say revised, but it got, the Christian treatment at one point to make yes. it much more in line uh, with Christian ideals. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the point at which the Holy Grail thing kind of all happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have seen, uh, of course, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which is a yep. classic. I love <laughs> it. I can recite parts of it. Um, <laughs> and I guess my other big King Arthur exposure is that... Uh, Meg Cabot, who wrote The Princess Diaries, 
also wrote a book called Avalon High. Oh, I, I vaguely remember that. I think it also got adapted into a graphic novel, but in Avalon High, it's the story of this girl named Elaine, and she ends up her parents, who are professors, like move to Maryland, and then they she ends up at a high school with where everyone is reincarnations of people from King Arthur's court, including herself. <laughs> <laughs> and also, she does get to she does get to like give someone a sword. Nice, which was, I guess, as close as she could get in one novel. <laughs> but it's it's it is definitely interesting, and I think it's something that would be interesting to like to, like to take a class on you know like to take a semester long class on dissecting arthurian legend mm -hmm. so let's see what we can fit into the 45 minutes huh yeah right <laughs> where do you want to start so the notes i took are like really brief chronological history of like where the Arthurian legends came from mm -hmm. and where like Christian influence started to come in and why um do you want to do do you want to do a quick like here is the extremely basic story of King Arthur oh yeah maybe um so yeah extremely basic uh story of King Arthur um it's uh there's a king his name was arthur <laughs> and he uh, a lot of people know him as like the boy who like pulled the so sword out of the stone mm -hmm. and um became like the righteous king of avalon um mm -hmm. and uh ruled with um he was like this super awesome like fighter he killed a, a bunch of people and defended england apparently he also was a diplomat <laughs> So, he's, a, he's a lot of things. He introduced the idea of talking to people instead of just killing them outright all the time, mm -hmm. apparently. Um, I feel like there was a part at which his his parent, like, he was born as, like, the child between two warring factions, and then he was raised in a foster family to conceal his secret identity. And uh, Caliburn and Excalibur are two different swords. I wouldn't say that's the broad story. I would oh. say that's very simple. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very granular story. <laughs> if I didn't mention that they weren't the same swords, my friend Annie was going to appear in the recording and smite me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Prince Arthur exists, and then he has his Knights of the Round Table. Um, mm -hmm. I don't remember all of their names, but there's like Percival and Lancelot and... Um, Gawain, Galahad. Yep. Uh, those might be some of the names that you recognize. Um, and they were just basically like a team of superheroes before those existed, um, mm -hmm. defending, uh, Camelot and, uh, England, uh, fighting Saxons and, and ha learning life lessons, mm -hmm. uh, being adulterous and ruining yeah. the kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think um, the, the biggest thing well one of the biggest things is probably like the whole story of arthur ends with like him getting killed or grievously wounded in battle by i think mordred right yeah mordred who in some versions is his nephew and some versions is his son usually his son i think mm -hmm. um and then he gets shipped off to the isle of avalon where it's like king arthur will rise again someday to protect to rise and protect England. Yeah, yeah. And also Merlin's there. <laughs> yeah, and so you can um, already, I think, kind of see some parallels to uh, just, like, the life of Jesus, basically, where he's, like, this chosen savior. Yeah, it's 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 a savior narrative. <laughs> yes, chosen savior who's killed by a betrayal and... Um, mm -hmm is going to, like, come back to life and, and save the world and all of that kind of stuff. You can see it. Um, yeah. But, uh, so, going way back to the beginning, though, of the actual, like, history of where these legends came from, uh, the original legends are based a lot on a uh, Celtic myth. Um, oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, <coughs> I don't have a lot of information on that, but... Um, 
the original myths were based a lot in that world uh and historians have been trying to find proof of king arthur's like actual existence in real life for Mm -hmm. like decades um but i think this archaeologist uh his name's noel myers uh he said it best when he said, um, quote, no figure on the borderline of history and mythology has wasted more of the historian's time than yeah. King Arthur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, which is just to say that it's pretty well established at this point that King Arthur did not exist and there is no proof that he ever mm-hmm. existed. Or if if King Arthur did exist then it was almost certainly not on the scale that he has been exalted to. Mm-hmm. And that if King Arthur did live, it was probably, in, his skeleton's probably in some kind of bog somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, like, ideas that King Arthur could have been, like, a figure that was based on one or a couple different actual kings of the time. Okay. Um, but that's, again, not really based on too much, like, hard evidence. Um, mm-hmm. And then there are a couple, like, early documents that talk about, like, King Arthur and him fighting the Saxons and his, like, battle stories. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, the articles that they do have are, like, based on each other. And so they have no idea where yeah. that information came from. Uh, so yeah. that's not really helpful. And then... Um, there was just a lack of, like, historical documentation being done at the time that we really just don't know. <laughs> because, you know, people were starving. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot of time for that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so but so the lack of historical documentation is, like, a bummer, of course, but it also mm-hmm. kind of keeps the myth alive and oh, keeps yeah, definitely. people wondering on, and just trying to discover him and, mm-hmm. and do more research into how he could have actually existed because people yeah. people want the, like the the old like king to like come back and like mm-hmm. save the world or something like that that's just like fun to believe and i don't yeah. blame him honestly <laughs> yeah there when when there's no hard evidence to prove or disprove something it why not just hold on to it why why not have fun with it <laughs> Sure, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and also, so yeah. England needs their cultural symbols. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is where the timeline starts getting a little bit messy, so don't pay attention, like, too much to, like, the actual, like, the years. If anyone wants, like, like an actual factual recap of historical events surrounding king arthur i am sure there are at least five separate podcasts that you could go listen to about that (laughs) yeah for sure um but what i've written next is so the first accounts of arthurian stories are from uh welsh and breton sources um Mm -hmm. which like over the 12th and 13th century gained a lot of popularity and spread throughout europe um which Mm -hmm. Of course, if it's in Europe, Europe touched everything else in the whole world, so it spread across the whole world. Um, yeah. And, um, but the stories that were spreading at that time, I don't think, uh, this is because I don't know the time time frames here, but um, mm-hmm. uh, the original stories and the stories that are spreading are not the same ones already. Yeah, because, I mean, that, that happens so much with word of mouth and like i think Mm -hmm. we also just i think this also maybe came up in our book of mormon episode but like when when you're trying to share a story or a parable or a legend with different groups of people like sometimes you need to you need to like change how you present it to make it connect more with the audience (laughs) right yeah uh, and sometimes you're the church and you want to control things and you also change the stories. <laughs> I, I will apologize for the Catholic Church. and I'm just going to go ahead and make a blanket <laughs> apology for, for this episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like super basic is that um, after Jesus uh, was crucified and mm-hmm. died, um, the early church was struggling to find its legs and figure out who it was and like you know, actually reach people and evangelize to the whole world. Mm -hmm. And so early Christians in the early church uh, were not super, uh, like, nitpicky about, like, quote-unquote pagan traditions that their converts might be practicing. They were like, listen, 
do we think that's okay? No. Are we going to make you stop? Also, no, because we do need you to continue following our religion. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not going to be picky. Yeah. Um, I actually like one of one of the one of the gospel readings. Either it was this it was this week. So they're during the week of the eleventh through fifteenth. There was a gospel reading um, in the Catholic Church uh, about like specifically about the disciples like meeting together because there were some pharisees or something who had converted to christianity but now are also like hey should we also be following the mosaic tradition and the disciples were like well let's talk about it (laughs) right yes yeah (laughs) lots of things were in flux at the time is what i'm getting at yes yeah they were just trying to establish a lot of rules still you Mm -hmm. know like a like jesus like was was spreading like the good news and like the basis of christianity but like how those mm-hmm. things were interpreted was a lot of the early church um mm-hmm, making mm-hmm. decisions and stuff like that uh and so these quote-unquote pagan traditions include uh stories from celtic mythology because obviously mm-hmm. christians wouldn't believe celtic mythology um like king arthur um, but anyway, yeah. they were like, nah, it doesn't really matter. But then the church uh, actually started to get established and gained a lot more, like, socio-political power. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they were like, uh, actually, no, uh, we're not doing those anymore. Yeah, actually, did you know that King Arthur was a Christian? <laughs> he was a Christian and an allegory for Jesus the whole time. <laughs> <sighs> revisionist church mythology <laughs> um so it is a super bummer that uh the church felt so threatened by things that it didn't understand and that mm-hmm. it didn't 100 percent line up with their beliefs that they felt mm-hmm. like they had to change people's cultures mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. <laughs> super bummer to say the least um but I know, but there's terrible, but the the legends that we know today are because of the church's changes, and yeah, the they honestly might not have the like far reaching um ability that they did mm-hmm. and then that they continue to have if those changes hadn't been made, <laughs> so yeah, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but am I? Am I correct in thinking that part of the reason why we still have so many documented myths and versions of the King Arthur tale is because, uh, if I had to guess, probably Christian monks and scribes were recording mm-hmm. it when it was being, when it's not being, like, given the Christian makeover kind of a thing? They were being, uh, what is it? They were being rewritten. Yeah, and when it adapted, like, kind of remi- adapted, yeah, kind yeah. of like remixed, basically. Um, yeah, which, so a lot yeah. of those got recorded because the Christian monks and scribes who were adapting them were writing them down, and yes. then those records survived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like, my not, understanding. It's not of super it, cool, but cool. I figured it out. <laughs> Listen, the early church did a lot of bad things. Yes, I'm gonna go out on a limb. And say that some the, okay, the church ruins a lot of things by trying to make them better. I don't think that they did that to these stories because some of their changes are actually like kind of smart and interesting, huh. and like are in my opinion anyway. That's not really okay. my place to say, but um. Anyway, that's I'm gonna jump off my list here and go into the future a little bit. Yeah, go for it. So time times a flat circle, baby. <laughs> uh so let me i'm gonna read a few things from this website it's called heroofcamelot.com uh history of like arthurian legend and this is a specific article about the influence of christianity on the uh on the stories Mm -hmm. so uh like i said early christianity they're struggling for their own survival uh and so they're tolerant of these old like pagan traditions um Mm -hmm. Which is also, you know, why, like, Christmas was something that the, like, mm-hmm. it's, like, originally a pagan tradition. We yes. changed it. <laughs> yes. Stuff Christmas like got preempted from, from Yule. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
yes. So same, same idea there. Um, so Arthurian literature, which had been based on old Celtic folklore, was um, kind of becoming problematic in the new society that they were trying to make, specifically mm-hmm. um, the character Merlin, who is a huge character in the Arthurian legends, uh, yeah. is good, but also uses magic. So how exactly is that possible? The Christian church had, Jesus! To, had an idea. <laughs> um. So I'm just, I might just read this paragraph wholesale. Um, so in the 12th century, a Frenchman named Robert de Boren wrote a poem retelling the wizard's story from a Christian perspective. Super funny. I think that's funny because, uh, like, there, I know that there's, like, this kind of infamous, infamous Harry Potter fan fiction out there that's supposedly written by, like, a Christian mom that tried to make it... <sighs> It's. I know we have to yes. talk about it. Yes, it's called, I. I have it in our. I have it in our doc of, of episode ideas. Um, I think it's the like Hogwarts it's School. Hogwarts of like... School of Prayer and Miracles. <laughs> <laughs> what if we did a crossover with segments? Oh, that would be. <laughs> that would be funny. Um, but I just think it's funny that people have been re- writing rewriting stories. Uh, as Christian fan fiction uh, for millennia. But anyway, uh, so in Robert's work, the devil is greatly angered by the good work Jesus Christ has done to save humanity from the torments of hell, and he seeks to send the Antichrist into the world to undo it. Merlin's mother is a pious woman who comes from a strong religious family. His father is a demon who seeks to impregnate the moral woman in order to bring about the Antichrist. (sighs) (laughs) Oh, um, trigger warning for, uh, like, sexual assault. <laughs> Just yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put that in the, I'll put that in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, just skip ahead, like, uh, 15 seconds a couple times. Um, you understand what's happening here. The demon wreaks havoc on, um, Merlin's mother's family, causes her parents to, another trigger warning, suicide. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, that's not funny. And causes her parents to commit suicide. Then he enters her bedchamber and rapes her while she's sleeping. The next day, she goes to her family's confessor, a religious man named Blaze, who blesses the unborn child in her womb with the sign of the cross. Merlin is immediately baptized at birth, and as a result, the evil is drawn out of his soul. But because Yay. of his demonic heritage, he retains his magical abilities. It all makes sense now. <laughs> they did it. Uh, and then it goes on to say, Roberts Merlin is portrayed as a good-natured wizard, although he does have a bit of a mischievous streak as a result of his heritage. His mm-hmm. magical ability is never clearly defined, although great emphasis is placed on his ability to shapeshift. His demonic heritage gives him the ability to know events taking place in both the past and present. In addition, his connection to God gives him the foresight into the future as well. Huh. So... Immediately when I read this, I had a way better idea for how to tackle pretty much the same story, but, like, in a less terrible way. (laughs) As in, like, you came up with an idea of, like, how you could tell a story in a less terrible way that was similar to this. Yes. Like, if you were going to modernize this um, Robert DeBoren's depiction of Merlin, Mm -hmm. like, which, which people have done already like this is not a new idea but like if i was gonna go right to this original poem he did and modernize it this is what i would do first Mm -hmm. i think him being i think merlin being like half demon half human is actually really rad um but i think it would be especially if you're trying to tell like a christian story here the his mother not being like a like very strong religious person who was like corrupted or like taken advantage of her his mother is like actively like inviting like the devil in and like you know participating in like whatever sin whatever you know that she's like kind of a bad girl and it gets to the point where like at the very like climax of the story like she has sex with a demon and she's like (laughs) and then in the morning after she's like Oh my god. That was a mistake. 
<laughs> yeah. I don't think I want to keep doing this. And so then she has a change of heart. God is invited into her life. She goes to the church, gets blessed, and her baby also gets blessed, and she starts living this, like, more pious life. Mm-hmm. And then Merlin is baptized, and the whole thing still happens where he is not evil, but he still has that demonic heritage. Yeah. And so what, I, what, I, what I'm hearing is that instead of making the story about Merlin, you would make it about Merlin's mom. Yeah. I and support then, that. Mm-hmm. I think, listen, I just think that she sounds like a rad lady. If you, mm-hmm. if, you know, whatever. And then I think it would be interesting to follow, like, Merlin's story and how he, like, has been raised as, like, a good person, but still mm-hmm. has to wrestle with, like, his heritage and, like, where his mom came from and, like, why he was conceived in the first place and, like, mm-hmm. find his place in the world and, like, how he can do good with all of that stuff still being true. I just think yeah. that sounds interesting. I'd read that. <laughs> I I would read that. I want to write that. <laughs> um, So I just had to uh, rant about that for a minute because I thought it was no, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Um... Uh, and then this goes on, this article I'm reading uh, goes on to talk about some of the other, like, things that Christianity changed about the legends. Um, mm-hmm. Did did the Holy Grail have a Celtic analog, or was that something that was inserted during the Christian rewrites? That's actually what I was just about to read about. Hey! Yeah! <laughs> um, so, uh, at the time, uh, the Crusades caused religious fervor in Europe and led some authors to reshape the traditional legends with religious undertones. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, one person had mentioned the Holy Grail in his poem, Percival, the Story of the Grail, but it was mm-hmm. in Robert, it was Robert de Boren, the same guy um, from before, who transformed the Grail into a sacred object associated with Christ. Mm-hmm. In Robert's tale, the Grail is the cup from which Jesus drank from during the mm-hmm. Last Supper. I have and, I have to do a John Cleese impression. <laughs> the Grail. Okay, I'm done. Go um, watch Monty Python. Uh, and then Joseph of Arimathea had his followers. Is that how you pronounce that? I always thought it was Arimathea, but also Arimathea. I'm pulling, I don't I'm, know. I'm also that. pulling that from Monty Python and Church. So take that with a grain <laughs> of salt. I mean, from Church, that seems like a pretty good place. Um, Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea. Arimathea, yeah. Okay. Joseph of Arimathea had his followers bring the sacred cup to Britain, and the cup can only be claimed by a descendant of Joseph's. And in Robert's story, Percival is a descendant of Joseph, and he's the knight that finally gets the grail by the end of it. Wait, hold up. Descendant of Joseph as in Joseph the stepfather of Jesus, or Joseph of Arimathea? Joseph of Arimathea. Okay. Uh, so Robert DeBoren has given us Merlin as, like, this mischievous character, which I don't think that was part of his personality before these changes. But it sure is now. It sure is now. (laughs) And, um, he gave us the Grail, um, but he also is the origins of the Sword and the Stone. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and he expands on the Round Table. Yeah. Uh... And so a lot of uh, Robert's uh, additions to the story become, like, really kind of core aspects of the story that people, like, remember about them. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, let me read this for a second. Okay, this is what you... So this is um, what you were kind of saying before. Uh, It says, In the early 13th century, a collection of stories known as the Vulgate Cycle came into being. The author of this work is unknown, but historians believe it was most likely written by medieval monks. Mm -hmm. Um, The tale retells Arthur's legend from a religious perspective and includes Robert de Bourne's stories of Merlin's conception and Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea. Side note, I think I think it might be pronounced Vulgate. It's probably Latin, if Vulgate, I had to guess. That makes sense. Uh, but the monks changed the Grail Knight from Percival to Galahad. Mm-hmm. Um, Was Galahad their OC? <laughs> uh, well, it says, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So the Grail Knight is changed to Galahad, who is only worthy of the Grail because he has saved his virginity. We love the church. <laughs> um. So in this, like, version of the stories by the monks, uh, a larger mm-hmm. emphasis is placed on Lancelot's forbidden love for Guinevere. Um, mm-hmm. Because that- his had to be the sin that toppled Camelot. Yep. <laughs> and also slut-shaming Guinevere. <laughs> Uh, Lancelot's love for Guinevere is made into a carnal sin, and he is denied the grail because of it. Percival, on the other hand, is a virgin, but he is denied the grail because he has, quote, felt sexual lust before. (laughs) We love the church. On one hand, if you like to think of Galahad as ace, then it's great. Yeah, right? It's only Galahad is able to obtain the cup because he is pure of any sexual desire. We love an asexual king. Ayy! <laughs> In the end, though, Britain is denied the grail because it is deemed unworthy of it, and the grail is lifted into heaven. Mm-hmm. God made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these monks were ahead of their time. <laughs> God looked down. God looked into the future and saw certain things about the Br- about the Brits and said, ah, "Maybe, maybe later." I don't know about that one. Um, I I do appreciate it. I I do understand that there's good things and bad things about about Great Britain and the UK and England, which I, which I know are not all the same things. But also, it, it's it's fun to just picture God being like. I'm just gonna go ahead and take this out of here. I'm just gonna get this out of. I'm gonna take this out of the equation for right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it actually goes on um, to talk about like how historians think that the this Grail quest, where you know, like Lancelot's not worthy and Percival's not worthy and Galahad is worthy, but Britain isn't, is actually a reflection of um, some like historical events that were t- being happening at the time, like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the Crusades. Um, yeah, <laughs> Europe is uh, has control over it, is uh, Jerusalem um, mm-hmm. for like a hundred years. Uh, but then uh, in eleven eighty seven, the city is lost to um, Muslim forces, and the church launched the Second Crusade, um, but they didn't do it. Um, and yeah. so this, so the the Grail story is kind of representative of that, and is a way for. Um, the storytellers to like they use the story as a way to kind of like console um english uh troops and like england in general in this Mm -hmm. loss and like explain why you know like god would do that if that was their land or whatever which Mm -hmm. i'm not getting into any of that but you know that so that's kind of an interesting uh reason why the story would come up i think uh and then just one more paragraph on this uh, yeah, website. Yeah, for it. Other religious undertones manifested themselves in the Arthurian legend as well. The, med- the medieval view of women was that they were either pure and virtuous, like the Virgin Mary, or a, wic- a wicked temptress like Eve, with no in-between. <laughs> Guinevere was naturally painted as the wicked temptress because of her adulterous love for Lancelot, and some versions of the legend even have her willingly marry Mordred when he usurps Arthur's kingdom. <sighs> uh, the fall of Camelot as a result of the sinful love for a beautiful temptress has clear parallels with the expulsion of man from the Garden of Eden in the Book mm-hmm. of Genesis. Uh, and as in Christianity, the Arthurian legend features a hero with a mystical birth who grows up to be a savior. In the end, he is killed because of betrayal, but there is a suggestion that he will return. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, savior narrative. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we love a savior narrative. Um, but yeah, so back to kind of like the overall history. Um, those are all of the changes that were made over time. Um mm-hmm. But so so the and these so these stories are gaining popularity. People really like them. Um, but mm-hmm. as the Middle Ages end, interests in the stories start to fade too, um, because historians are kind of realizing that this guy never existed, and people learning that he wasn't real made the stories like less interesting to them. So they just yeah. kind of stopped. 
people were really just using the stories kind of like we are nowadays um, as like political allegories and like just ways to like make a point or tell a story and make metaphors and stuff like that. Uh, In the early 19th century, uh, there was, like, a gothic revival of, like, medievalism, romanticism, Mm -hmm. um, and people got more excited about the Arthurian legends again. Uh, Yeah. And Arthurian legend actually uh, established, like, a a new code of ethics for men of the time that was based on Mm -hmm. Arthur's chivalry. Yeah. Uh, And then we get back into, like almost modern times where in the late 20th century um, people were using these stories to reflect on moderate events and beliefs, um, Mm -hmm. which we continue to do today. And then in the 21st century, it's just still permeates our culture. Like, um, Oh yeah. Like books and movies and shows, like even if they're not about it, they reference it and use those like allegories Mm -hmm. and stuff in their writing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Sonic was King Arthur all along. (laughs) I'm on the Wikipedia page right now for adaptations of Arthurian legend just to see what kind of what kind of ridiculous um, what kind of ridiculous things it's been adapted into. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the like things I remember um, where I've seen Arthurian legend in pop culture is um, I don't know if you've read it, Christina, or anybody listening. Uh, it's a book called The Raven Boys. I haven't, but I know that you have. Yeah, it's it came out a little while ago, I think. But um, basically, uh, and you wouldn't know this from just looking at the cover or anything, but one of the main characters, his name is Gansey, he has, like, an obsession with Arthurian legend and believes mm-hmm. that, like... It's, like, something like he is a descendant of Arthur or something mm-hmm. like that. And, like, he is has this, like, obsession with, like, finding the old Welsh king and, like, reviving him so that he can, like, gain three wishes or something like that. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, BBC Merlin is just terrible. Just the worst. But also the best yeah (laughs) it it is it is a it is a piece of work that does have flaws (laughs) yeah good news uh sonic the black knight is on here good good also apparently they appear in runescape that makes sense king arthur is the namesake of a brand of flower king arthur flower (laughs) um lots of tapas lots of tapestries and paintings and stuff have been made um oh hey fun fact um apparently there was a made for tv movie of avalon high that book by meg cabot oh um but it was made in 20 or it was released in 2010 and uh they did a gender swap uh where instead of king arthur being you know quarterback on the football team head of the student body kind of a thing Mm -hmm. um instead king arthur is reincarnated as Allie pennington (laughs) which is which is you know what why not let the girl have hold on let me see if she gets the sword yes she does get the sword yay she grabs a prop sword to stop the bad guy but it transforms into excalibur (laughs) That's great. You love to see it. <laughs> yeah, in my, in my research, um, when it gets more into, like, modern, like, 19th, 20th century writings about, like, King Arthur, people mm-hmm. um, are already, uh, like, adapting the stories to have more modern takes, like, mm-hmm. that are a little bit more, like... Uh, and then losing Friend- the religious parts, I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think you can see that a lot, in especially in retellings of it today, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, like, honestly, it, like, the Christ allegory is so prevalent in culture and media and stuff now that yeah. it's really easy not to take it in a religious way <laughs> anymore. Yeah. I think it's interesting, too, that even though, you know, the church has even though you know the church is arguably responsible for the version of king arthur that 
is in a lot of the zeitgeist nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a lot that the that as far as I know, no church except for possibly the Church of England has tried to like m- make King Arthur a saint. Oh, <laughs> like there's there. I don't think there's a Saint Arthur, and I'm pretty sure there's not like a Saint Galahad or a Saint Percival kind of a thing. Interesting. I wouldn't have been surprised if there was. But. Yeah, because it's that's something where like you would think that given given that especially when Arthurian myths and legends were being popularized, you would think that churches would try to you know kind of like I hate to use this phrasing, but like try to snap up King Arthur and be like, yes, hello, we're going to we're going to canonize him and make him a a religious we're going to like make him an actual official religious sure. figure that we can use as a role model and and a spiritual guide. And it's it it's it's something about like how strong the roots are of King Arthur that no mm-hmm. one's done that. Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah. It, is there like um does the Catholic Church like only canonize people who actually like one hundred percent for sure existed, or is it a lot of like kind um, of we don't know? I feel like within the body of saints of the Catholic Church, like the body of officially recognized canonized saints, go listen to our saints episode for more explanation on this. <laughs> um, I feel like the body of Catholic saints is mostly either people who were so important to the Bible and to the early church that even if they may not have existed in real life, their contributions mm. were were still very instrumental to the early days of the church and then sure. have carried forward into the present day. Yeah. Or people who are documented as having lived. Got it, got it. That makes a lot of sense. So I can see why they wouldn't then for King Arthur. Like it, it like on paper it makes sense, but like mm-hmm. if they're not sure he existed in the first place and then like besides like his stories he didn't really like like contribute a lot to like the church or anything like that maybe that was part of it too like they couldn't say that you know king arthur had a deep and insightful prayer life because if anyone did it would have been would have been galahad Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they didn't necessarily think to provide that justification to king arthur because Mm -hmm. they knew well he's he's gonna fall he can't have a good prayer life (laughs) (laughs) right yeah huh i did just google is king arthur a saint and the top result is from the national catholic register saying king arthur in the lives of the saints oh let me scan it Mm -hmm. real quick um it sounds like a lot of in when it comes to the Catholic Church, there are a lot of people who were who were saints or important religious figures who um who somehow like work the tale of King Arthur into their religious stories. But it sounds like it's pretty much just a lot of hey, I'm going to reference King Arthur in my life story kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And not actu- and not an actual portrayal of Arthur as a person of faith. Or of, like, religious merit. <laughs> right. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's pretty much the end of my notes. But um, just to leave it off, like, I think Arthurian legend, you know, is obviously uh, the the church had a, a hand in it and developing yeah. it and why it sticks around this long. Um, yeah. But the fact that it does and is really, really interesting and fun and, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe King Arthur will come back someday. Who knows? <laughs> King, Arthur, King Arthur, save us from COVID. <laughs> He comes back and he's like, you guys had another plague? No. I'm going back yeah. this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so do you think it's fair to say that King, like, studying Arthurian legend is something that you definitely can do, but if you do want to, like, 
read it through a religious perspective, you definitely should be doing it both through the Christian perspective and then also through the Celtic tradition. Yeah, for sure. I think, like, yeah, if you're going to read it from a Christian, or not a Christian, but like a, a religious perspective, you should know its history and like, like, yes, it does parallel like Jesus's journey a lot there and there's mm-hmm. a huge reasons for that and like just yeah. like being aware of those things um mm-hmm. as you read it i think will give you a better understanding of like the actual content of the stories and like what they're trying to say you know mm-hmm. yeah i totally get that mm-hmm. okay i think that might wrap it up then for us yeah absolutely okay? Mm-hmm. okay cool so before we finish the wrap up, uh, I would like to make a plea to listeners of this show. Um, I know that people do listen to the show. I see the st- I see the statistics when I upload the audio to our <laughs> podcast platform. Um, so I know that you're out there, and if you're out there, we would really appreciate hearing from you. Uh, if you listen to this show, like we we would love it if you could send us a message or something, whether it's on Twitter or. Uh, or through our email address, both of which you'll hear in a second. Um, just like introduce yourself, like say hi, tell us how you got lis- how you got interested in listening to Faithful, and we'll give you a shout out on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I like to get to know the listeners and stuff. Yeah, we're small. We'll interact with you. You could learn yeah. anything. I mean, yeah, and- we yeah. we promise that we are we promise that we are both nice and tolerant people. Yeah, for sure. As long as as long as you're not a turf, you are welcome <laughs> to interact. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> a turf or a Nazi. <laughs> anyway, that let's, I'm gonna dig my I'm gonna dig myself out of that pit that I just dug myself into. Because <laughs> it's time for the outro. Faithful is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, and other places where podcasts can be found. Our theme song is Start Us Something Beautiful, courtesy of Katza. We can be reached through an email at faithfulpod2ls at gmail.com, or through our Twitter, which is at faithful2lspods with an S. And it is always incredibly helpful if you can rate and review us on your listening platform of choice and maybe also recommend us to a friend because we we do like sharing this with people and we'd like to get to do that more. Absolutely, yeah. So, until next time, keep the faith! Should I go get my sword? If you want to, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to worry about it right now. I don't. I don't feel like trying to cut me running downstairs from the recording. <laughs> That's great. Perfect.